Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are locked on, locked on, locked on Hornets. Your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into another edition of Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is the best Charlotte Hornets news and analysis in your podcast feed every day when you need it. I'm Doug Branson, joined by my good friend, David Walker. How are you, David? I'm good, Doug. I'm excited for the second round of the playoffs. We chatted a little bit about it. The first round was, you know, it was uh, it was playoff basketball. But I, don't, don't you get the feeling everybody was kind of ready for the... I mean, once you got past the Russ, Harden, you know, series, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had a couple sweeps, and, and then I think it was ready to get, time to get on the second round, right? Yeah, I knew, look, I knew the Bucks were not going to upset the Toronto Raptors. I just knew it would be fun basketball. Uh, I thought we got some, we got some fun basketball moments in, in mm. the first round, but now we're into the second round and we're going to get some interesting series. I don't know how excited I was for the second round until last night when I saw what the Rockets did to the Spurs because I thought I thought we're heading for another you know Warriors Spurs uh, probably Cavs Celtics you know kind of just going through the motions until we got to Cavs Warriors and then I saw what the Rockets did to the Spurs and I'm like hold on because I I could I could definitely be sold on a Rockets Warriors seven game series well, it would be interesting. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to uh, gravitate towards the Spurs once the Hornets stop playing every year. Um, I just, they're fun to watch. They're fun to watch pop, you know, have some fun press conferences and whatnot. But I'll be honest that we talked about this a little bit, you know, doing the pod and paying attention to the Hornets for 82 games and, you know, being in it every day and every night. It's like, I, I did take a little bit of a, of a break. I gotta be honest. I didn't tune in for every 40 games and 40 nights. You know what I mean? Um, in the first round of the playoffs. So I was peeking in last night and uh, the, yeah, the Rockets were up like 30, 30 or something. So I tuned in, I said, let me see what's going on with this. And I watched for like 10 minutes. saw about 30 minutes of game time. Cause they went back to back reviews after Nene uh, tried to choke out one of the Spurs guys. And then they had some other offensive. I was like, all right guys, it's, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this tonight. I'm tired and I don't have time for all the replays, but other than that, I'm excited. I mean, the really dangerous thing about the Rockets at this point is that Harden was not even a, you know, a huge scoring threat in this game. I mean, he had 14 assists, four steals, turned to Clint yeah. Capella into you know an all-star role man, finishing right. the game hey, with so, 20 points. That was crazy. Yeah, so on this Harden thing, we haven't talked about the MVP race since our initial discussion like way back before, I think before the playoffs started, but doesn't that kind of indicate to you that the the Rockets can win not without James Harden right but like and this is debated everywhere so this isn't you know nothing new for for you folks out there but like didn't that kind of seal it for you I mean one of the factors was you know Harden really didn't play that well in that in the uh, OKC series either 
I mean, Russ is all over everywhere and doing everything, but like, if he didn't, then, <laughs> then the thunder are not in it. Right. And if, you know, if Harden has an off game, the Rockets can still win. That's like one of the things that kind of tips the scales for me. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's, again, it's what the, the thing that makes the MVP so funny is that it means different things to different people. Yeah. You know, some, for some people, it means the best player in the league. For some people, it means the, you know, take this player away and what does this team become kind of deal. And um, that was a piece. Yeah. Okay, we've got a good show ahead. We're going to talk. I know I said yesterday that we were going to talk about Cody Zeller. I know all the Zeller fans are like lining up, waiting for this. They're like, yes, give me that Zeller news that I've been wanting. Well, hold <laughs> on, because I got a chance to talk to Nick Denning about Marco Bellinelli. You'll hear that in a few minutes. And he just did a great in depth review of Marco for at the hive.com. Uh, so that's ahead. But first, I want to ask this question um, The great philosopher Michael Scott once said we should have had hindsight so let's have some hindsight David and ask this question about Marco Bellinelli he was acquired in the offseason for the 22nd pick in the NBA draft which went to Sacramento and became Malachi Richardson and just looking back on everything that he did this season and the production that he gave the Charlotte Hornets do you think at this point it was the right move? Was Marco Bellinelli worth the 22nd pick in the NBA draft last season? Well, I think two, a couple of things. I mean, yeah, so you look at it straight up for a draft pick for Marco. And, um, you know, from that standpoint, I'm still, I think I'm okay with it, at least for last season so far, right? I don't know that a draft pick at that spot would have given them much of anything last year. I don't know that they would have gotten some of the shooting nights, certainly that they got out of Marco uh, from a draft pick last year. And a lot of times we talked about what he was trying to replace on this roster, Doug. And one of the main things was like the explosiveness, the explosiveness and the off the bench scoring of Jeremy Lynn, right? Like they were trying to kind of fill that void with Jeremy Lynn with Marco and, and a little bit with sessions, just in the pack point guard, you know, backup duties. Right. So I, I just kind of look back at just for the scoring, to see how he compared with Lynn from a year ago. And you remember how Lynn was just so important. He won, he won a couple of games on his own, right? Mm-hmm. He took over a couple of games. It was a big spark plug off the bench. Um, and just look, kind of looked at their scoring, you know, Lynn, um, let's see here. Uh, so Marco scored 20 plus points four times and the Hornets were two and two in those games. So, you know, he had a couple good scoring nights. He had a couple big outbursts, but they were not consistent enough. And, and I don't think they were the game-changing type that Lynn, uh, you know, contributed. For for instance, Lynn, nine times over 20-plus, one thirty-five point game. And in those games, Doug, the Hornets were 7-2. and two. Um, So that was just a little bit more of a difference maker from Lynn off the bench, I thought. Again, went for 35 um, uh, one time. And let's see here. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Marco topped out, I think, you know, um, just in the twenties. So, I mean, not that that's the end all be all, but I did think that was what they were trying to replace with Marco and with a couple other guys. And they just, that was a big story in the season. They weren't able to do that. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, he was one of the players that actually did come in and improve his performance year over year. And that's what they, yeah. you know, that's what every team is always looking for players to, come in and maximize their potential and and improve their output over 
over the previous season and total point production was about the same, but you saw his efficiency go up from 45.7% to 51.2% effective field goal percentage. His overall field goal percentage went up from 38.6% last year in Sacramento to 42.9%, but it did not reach the levels of his it's like they got the improvement but it didn't reach the levels of say his year in his first year in san antonio uh his year with the bulls uh, that was much uh much talked about so it didn't get there plus that word that pops up not only with marco but with frank and with jeremy lamb and with uh, nick batum and others on this team consistency it's mm-hmm. what the Hornets lacked in general as a team, and it was because of those individuals uh, that, you know, you saw Marco have a great first half and have a weak second half, and there were others that it was vice versa. You know, it just they, this team struggled to get everyone on the same page. Yeah, and of course, defensively, he is what he is, right? Um, you know, um, Clifford, I'm sure there, there was some frustration at times, and you saw that on the bench at times. But, I mean, for the most part, he wasn't in there to guard people. Um, clearly he wasn't in there to, uh, be a defensive stopper, but, you know, be a shot in the arm on offense. And of course he almost had maybe the greatest inbounds play to end a game in NBA history. That was just a hair short in Detroit when he bounced the ball off the back and, and then banked in a, what would have been a game winning three pointer. So that was something. Well, I asked this uh, very important question. Was Marco Bellinelli worth the 22nd pick to our friend, Nick Denning, from AtTheHive.com, who wrote a full review of Marco Bellinelli on AtTheHive.com, which you should definitely go read. Take it away, Nick. It depends when you ask this question, right? I think now there's a bit more debate about it, particularly now that we can see some of the players they could have taken at 22. Um, the, you know, the reason you know, the reasoning behind it was, hey, you know, we can get a, 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 ready, a ready-made player. He's a veteran, you know, and, and that was the reason that they, they brought him in. And two months into the season, it looked like a great deal. Now, not so much. So, yeah, I, I, I'd I'd say the jury's still out, but it certainly doesn't look as good as it did earlier. Well, let's talk about that early part of the season in December. He was uh, in November and December shooting the ball very well. What made him so successful early on in the season for the Charlotte Hornets? Well, you know, it's, I mean, I'd say a lot of consistency. And, and you know, one thing I kind of talked about is how well, I mean, he's just kind of a player that feeds off kind of the the way the team is playing. So when the Hornets are, are playing well, um, he tends to feed off of that. You know, if, if Walker's having a good night, Batum, some of the others, um, he can really add to that, you know. Um, and when the Hornets got off to that good start in November and December, um, his numbers reflected it. Um, he shot particularly well from the three-point line. He shot 47.6% in November and 45.7% in December. Those are, you know, more than above-average numbers for um, for three-point shooters. So, um, yeah, he was, you know, he just he had a really good start. But, um, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about, things kind of, you know, kind of fell down a little bit as the season wore on. I mean, I was digging into some of his synergy stats, Nick, and and he's rated good, very good, or excellent in in most every offensive category for this season, uh, except for his work in transition, which he didn't do a lot of. But so much of that was because of the success that he had early in the season, because later on, uh, he would uh, drop off. His his three-point shooting would basically go absent in the month of January where when the entire team was struggling uh, but there were nights when when he was completely absent what do you think uh, what do you think happened there 
You know, it's, it's a couple of things. I mean, you know, everything sort of crashed down around that time, right? You know, with the injuries, with just the, the, the level in play dipped. Um, as I kind of mentioned, I think he's really a player. He's the type of player that you want to have when things are going well, but he's not someone that you can really count on um, to get you out of a hole. And so I think as the team, you know, the team's ball movement probably, you know, probably suffered a bit. Their defense started lacking. Um, you know, he kind of was a his his play was affected by that because, you know, he's someone that, you know, he gets himself open, but it's always through, you know, through the offense. And, you know, if the offense isn't running as well, if guys aren't around, if guys around him aren't playing as well, um, he's going to kind of be, a, you know, his struggles are a byproduct of that. And, and you're and you're right, because he. You know, those numbers in, in November and December were great, um, but the highest he'd shoot for any month, you know, after that was March and it was 33.3. So as you said, like it was even worse than January and the highest ever got back up to was in the low 30s. So clearly not where it needed to be. Yeah, and I, I think part of this too, Nick, is that I felt like they brought Marco in to create space, but I think they also wanted to get Marco in some space because Steve Clifford talked about early in the season how well Marco was driving to the basket and how they would depend on that part of his offense maybe even more than than his three-point shooting skills. And we saw that that space wasn't always there because that bench unit didn't scare a lot of teams from beyond the arc. So you saw Marco... Um, less uh, in the catch and shoot, the short corner three, and more coming off screens around the high post area and and doing sort of that crazy shot motion that he found some success in getting fouled with, but that consistency uh, wasn't always there. And though, again, his mid-range game was rated very good, um, he had, I think, about a .88 in terms of point per possession, um, you know, when you when he depended more on that mid-range game, it just wasn't as consistent and wasn't as efficient as his three-point shooting game, and, and I think that hurt his offense. Um, you know, as the season went on, you know, his numbers he did improve from last season because you know I think it was, we talked about you know or he had a down year in Sacramento, and I'd say you know even com- comparatively overall he had a better season, but it's just like the it wasn't. It's, as we kind of already said, it just was not consistent enough. All right, let's talk about his defense. Also not very consistent, or, or maybe it was consistently frustrating for fans as he was um, often noted as, you know, g- getting uh, cut back door a lot, uh, missing, mm-hmm. you know, missing certain assignments. He caught the ire of Steve Clifford late in the season. Uh, how would you rate him defensively? Yeah, he was kind of a liability at times. And, you know, I don't, you know, he was, I think, you know, one of the, uh, Clifford talked about this, and this is kind of a well-known thing now, how just poorly they defended in the fourth quarter. Um, but Clifford had a very, he had a tough decision to make in terms of whether to play Marco um, or to play Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. And you're kind of picking your poison in a sense because, you know, you bring Marco out there and it adds another shooter that can space the floor. And so, you know, defenses can't only focus on Walker and Batum, but obviously you're losing um, you're losing that defense that you get with with Kid Gilchrist. Um, but obviously the flip side of that is you get no outside offense there, you know, with him on the floor. So, yeah, and I think, you know. Marco isn't a great defender, but, you know, maybe we can make the case that because he was playing in a role that probably wasn't best suited to him, he got exposed more than he normally would have. Um, I think in an ideal situation, you know, he, 
comes off the bench, um, you know, plays in the second, plays in the third quarter, um, you know, or, or maybe early fourth quarter, right? But he's not mm-hmm. one that you want closing a game unless, you know, he's having a really good night. Um, but you're right. No, he um, – one thing I kind of noticed is he, you know, and I don't have a necessarily number to, to back this up, but offhand at least, but um, he was very poor at closing out. I felt like, um, you know, defend or, or, you know, guys he was defending often hit open shots against him, and um, that was another thing he seemed to struggle with. Not only that, but I thought getting back on defense as well in terms of his transition defense. And that's something that for Steve Clifford, for the Charlotte Hornets, it's mandatory. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the original sin. It's the cardinal sin. It's every sin uh, wrapped up into one. Getting back on transition is an absolute must. Even if you don't, I think that's the thing. I think with Clifford, even if you're not a stellar half-court defender, maybe you get you know, we saw this with um, Jeremy Lin at times. You know, he he would get fooled on defense every once in a while, but he always got back. And I think that goes a long way in terms of getting on Steve Clifford's good side. Uh, if you if you do get back on defense, and he was one of the uh, main culprits, I'd say it was Marco. It was uh, sometimes it was Kimball Walker complaining after a foul. Sometimes it was Frank Kaminsky just getting back on defense and transition can save a lot of points uh, for the Charlotte Hornets. And I thought he was a main culprit there. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was inconsistency. I love that phrase. Pick your poison. There, Nick, there are always going to be trade-offs when you talk about lineups. And, and a lot of these, Clifford talks about it all the time, a lot of coaching is putting the right combination of players out on the floor that can give your, give your team balance on offense and defense and put your team in, in a position uh, to play well on both ends of the floor or play decent. And a lot of the times I felt like last season they had to pick a poison where a guy was a devastating net negative on one end of the floor and good to, to fantastic on the other end and maybe no better player to represent that than Marco Bellinelli, who did have a really, really good offensive year last season. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and well, it's, you know, it's interesting. You made that point about the trend, you know, not getting back on defense. Cause what, you know, I, I, he's Clifford said this more and more late in the year. Um, but he said, you know, a key, really a big key to succeed, you know, that he, he felt was the key to succeed was to have people buy into his philosophy. And as you said, like the, you know, the golden rule of, of a Steve Clifford, you know, coach team is you got to get back in transition. And he talked about how, he, you know, this was his first season. He, you know, he felt that he wasn't able to really communicate all of those things to his players. And I think Marco's, you know, one, a, a strong case of a player who, um, as you said, had a very good offensive season, but wasn't buying in on the defensive side of things. And, and, you know, obviously we're not, no, no one's going to call him a, a, a strong defensive player, you know, even when he's trying but I mean, there still is a little bit, like you said, to giving that b- bit of extra effort. And um, so that's, I think that that really did hurt things. Well, you made a good point in your article. You know, a lot of his offense came from going off multiple off ball screens and moving around. I mean, there were times that, that he was rem- reminiscent of Rip Hamilton, you know, moving right. across the court. And, and that takes a lot of energy. Yeah. And, you know, so guys like that are going to sometimes trade off a little bit of energy in transition or on defense uh, to to focus in a little bit more on offense. I think it just it teetered a little too much in the direction of offense for 
Marco Bellinelli at times. And like you said, this may not have been an issue, Nick, if if Marco were just expected to be a bench contributor. But they really right. needed to be. They really needed Marco at times to be a fourth quarter end of game contributor, much in the way that Jeremy Lin was last season. And like you said, they could not necessarily depend on him defensively to have that focus defensively and to not be completely concerned with offense, I thought at times. And that's uh, that hurt them. Right. Right. No, that's yeah. I mean, it's a good point. You make a good point. I mean, he, he is not someone that can rely on his athleticism, you know, to get himself open because, you know, he doesn't create off the dribble. Almost all of his, the majority of his shots came in catch and shoot opportunities and to get himself open. Like you said, he's, he's, he's rolling his defenders off screens. He's, you know, he's moving. I mean, you know, you watch most sets that the Hornets ran when he's on the floor. Um, he's constantly moving around. And like you said, that does take a lot of energy. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if, if they can maybe upgrade a position where he doesn't have to be the guy, you know, necessarily relied on at all times in, in those deep fourth quarter, you know, um, possessions, he can maybe just do a little bit more of the offense only. But I th- I still think, you know, they, they being, you know, he's, he's a, he's a veteran in the league. You know, he understands, you know, what, what to do and what wins he's been, he's been a part of a championship team, you know, um, I think I would be should, I would be yeah. interested, Nick. Let me get your thoughts on this. I would be interested yeah. to see Marco Bellinelli on a bench with a really or not a really good, but but a but a decent backup point guard. Right. Because Ramon Sessions and Brian Roberts both I thought did good jobs of of finding Marco in positions where he could knock down shots. I didn't think that that was an issue. But Again, guys that could a backup point guard that could demand a little bit more attention, get Marco yeah. a little bit more space to create because I think that's when Marco's going to be most effective offensively is when when he can, when when the threat to drive the basketball is there. But to do that, he's got to have a little bit of space. So I'll be I'll be interested to see that if they can if they can upgrade that backup point guard position. And 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 somebody and that backup point guard will have to be able to play a little defense as well. Yeah. What will Marco look like in that scenario? I guess you know if if Marco Bellinelli uh, remains a Charlotte Hornet through the off season and then into next season, that's what I'll be looking for. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And because um, you know, I think you look at you look at it's not it's not it's not clear across the board, but if you look at his past seasons, some of his best seasons were when he was surrounded by. Um, good supporting players and also, you know, also good point guards. Um, you know, I mean, Tony Parker, obviously a great point guard, um, in San Antonio. Um, he was in, he was in Chicago. Um, when Derek Rose was, was there, obviously was, I, it, was I, he not, in New Orleans with Chris Paul? I believe. Yeah, I think he was. We'll just say um, he was. I, don't, don't fact check this. Right. <laughs> and, and, and actually I, I will fact check myself and, and, and maybe I can, I'll, I'll look this up afterwards. See if I, if I'm onto this or not. Uh, but I think the year he was in Chicago actually may have been the year that Rose missed most of that season. Um, but I, but the thing is, you, you go back to that season, even let's say there was that season, um, even though they didn't have Rose, they still were able, they still had point guards that were able to create off the dribble that were able to draw attention. I think that might've been the year that Nate Robinson had a really strong year. I mean, it was, you know, Thibodeau went with just a, a hodgepodge of different point guards and they all actually worked rather effectively. Um, so yeah, I think when he has the right kind of players around him, 
Um, he can, you know, the, the pressure is off is, you know, it, it is off him a little bit more and he can, you know, just excel at what he does best, which is shoot the ball. All right, he's Nick Denning. He writes for AtTheHive.com, did a full review. He didn't give it all away, folks, so go read the article on At The Hive for some more stats and video or some gifts of Marco Bellinelli doing his thing. Had a weird shot, Nick. What, what yeah. I'd, I'd say if we ranked the weird shots for the Charlotte Hornets, his shot motion, uh, probably number one. Hard to recreate. Right. It was very spastic, but it went in. That's the thing. Yeah. He, he had some of the craziest shots this season, and he, of course, we didn't even mention the one shot that went in but didn't count against Detroit right. would have been the craziest comeback of all time. Oh, absolutely. One that was, that was cre- That was absolutely creative. I loved it. I mean, even though he went in, I wasn't, I wasn't upset that we lost that night. Um, yeah, he kind of developed, he, he started fading away more and more as the season went, went on. And I think by the end of the season, he was, I mean, literally on one foot, you know, just, just shooting three pointers, whether he was contested or not. So it, it, his, his shooting motion definitely, uh, definitely is, is one to talk about. All right, Nick Denning at thehive.com. Thanks for joining me, my friend. Yeah, thank you. That'll do it for us here on Locked On Hornets. Follow us on Twitter and subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It's how hardcore Hornets fans find our podcast. Tomorrow, I promise, we're going to recap the season that was for Cody Zeller. For David, I'm Doug. Thanks for listening. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. Like what you hear? Consider sharing this podcast with other Charlotte Hornets fans. The easiest way? Our new website, LockedOnHornets.com. There you can download the podcast, listen to our latest episodes, and check out Locked on Hornets live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m.